This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Demarest, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about some broader issues affecting the industry as well as the economy in general. But I want to share a story this week from one of our clients that caught his service advisor messing with his numbers to make sure that his gross profit target was met while probably selling these jobs at less than what they should have been. This was a new one for me. I kind of told my client, I'm not sure if you want to hear this, congratulations, but we usually see it all at some point. And this one was kind of a first for me, or at least a first in a long time. I wanted to make everyone aware of this and try and hope that this does not happen to you, or maybe some signs if this is going on, that you can catch it in your own shop. Before we get into that, though, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. You have to see Shopware's messenger in action to believe it. You can use live chats to send photos, videos, part summaries, and payments. You can do all this within an RO. Unbelievable, right? Visit them at GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed program, their unique done-for-you marketing platform takes the guesswork out of the equation. Please visit them at RepairShopOfTomorrow.com. I was talking with my clients uh, probably about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago at this point. Two shops out in California, obviously not going to share their name. Great business owners really understand their numbers and probably the reason why they were able to catch what was going on. So we were talking about some other things and they came up and they said, Hunt, have you ever seen this before? This is something that we kind of noticed going on here and wanted to kind of talk about the broader impacts of what was going on to make sure that, you know, unfortunately, some of these lower profit or these losses on some of these jobs or reflected correctly in the financials and making sure that we weren't paying tax on something that we weren't supposed to. What was going on in this shop is something that could easily happen in a lot of other shops. You know, whenever we make incentive-based pay plans, whether it's technicians, service advisor, general managers, we always open the door for, you know, what we call gaming the system. So if you're a service advisor and you have a vested interest to sell more, right, you just have a sales target for your service advisor, then they don't have a vested interest in making sure that is priced correctly. They just have a vested interest in selling, selling, selling. Now, most people, when they set a target for a service advisor, they not only set a sales target, but also a gross profit target, or even in some cases, just set a gross profit target. The reason is, is because I don't really care about sales if I'm a business owner, unless the gross profit is correct. So what I mean by that is, if I set a sales goal for my service advisor of $100,000, that doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. So if I have one service advisor that's selling at $100,000 of sales at a 50% gross profit, then that's going to leave me with $50,000 in gross profit. However, if I have a service advisor that's doing the same $100,000 in sales at a 30% margin, now we're only left with $30,000. You can see that if you're incentivizing your service advisor solely based on sales, then you could be having something where you're getting $50,000 out of it, or you could have the same service advisor or same amount of sales, but only getting $30,000 of gross profit. This is the reason that most people set a floor for gross profit or even just pay off of gross profit. Because in that situation where you had the service advisor selling at a lower margin, 
you're only paying them off of the $30,000 of gross profit. doesn't matter what they are selling, really, because we're only kind of incentivizing or rewarding something off the profit dollars. Now, what is going on in this shop or what happened in this shop is something very similar. So they had a sales target, they had a gross profit floor, and then even more specifically, they kind of had an internal level that they needed all jobs to be sold at. So I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but just for argument's sake, we're going to call it 50% gross profit. This is a minimum threshold that they say, hey, you have some ability to discount, you have some ability to kind of pick and choose on profit, but our bottom line gross profit floor is 50%. You can't sell a job less than 50%. Obviously, there's going to be some unique situations where I'm sure that you know a manager can get involved or my clients get involved on this. But in general, you should not be selling a job for cheaper than that. Now, this person is also incentivized to sell more. And so what they kind of found out was a shortcut way to get some of these jobs sold at lower margins, but still have it show up on their shop management software that they were making good margins on these jobs. And so how it really came to light was, you know, they have two locations, a couple service advisors in it. And I believe one of my clients was actually on the counter and actually pulled up one of these jobs. What they were doing is they were looking at a specific job that this service advisor had written up. Uh, I believe it was a transmission job or something that was a pretty high dollar amount here. When they pulled up the ticket, they saw they sold a transmission for $1,500. But the thing that stuck out that was very strange to them was they had a cost in there for that transmission of $1. Why would the service advisor override the price and put it in as $1? Well, let's say that that transmission cost you know $1,100. So there wasn't really a whole lot of profit in there. If they closed out that ticket at the actual amounts, then obviously that's going to affect their overall gross profit for the month, but also kind of throw out some red flags because they'll say, hey, you didn't sell that job for enough money. We didn't really have any profit in that. And you kind of went a little bit easy on you know, delivering this sale. Instead of kind of maintaining our margins, explaining the value behind it, and explaining why we have to mark up not only labor, but parts as well, the service advisor kind of took a shortcut here and just said, you know what? I know what I think I can sell this to the customer, and I'm going to override these figures so that it makes sense. The more and more that they started digging into this, they found other situations which were slightly similar. You know, some stuff that we're selling and the cost was in there at zero. And then the trickier ones that didn't stick out like a sore thumb is what about some of these other jobs where they maybe just slightly changed those numbers? So, for example, let's say that we have a you know BMW electric water pump. Cost on that is about 400 bucks. If you're looking for a 50% gross profit margin, you should be selling that for $800. Now, what if the service advisor thought that this was a price sensitive customer, knew that they weren't going to be able to get full sticker on this. So instead, what we think was going on is instead of selling that job for $800 for that water pump, they sold it for $400. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, hon, if they sell this for $400, there's no markup. They're actually selling it at cost. But what they were doing or what we think that they were doing in some of these situations was instead of taking it all the way down to one dollar or zero, which kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Now they're overriding that parts cost and bringing it down to two hundred dollars on paper. It looks like they're making 50 percent gross profit there because it's just a hard number that's coded into their shop management software. In reality, they're making zero percent gross profit margin. 
like I said, this is something that I have not seen really at all, but more specifically, I have not seen this stuff recently. You know, we've been working with shops. We just celebrated our 30th anniversary of our firm. So we've been doing this for a long time and most things that we have seen. Now, over the years, there's kind of trends that go on. Really, a lot of this has been based on the technology, the way that shops workflow is going. Stuff like this where the price was wrong or the price was deliberately messed with is not really something that we've been seeing in the last 10 years. You know, when I first started doing this, almost all shops, or I would probably say at this point, all shops were doing manual ordering for their parts. So there was no electronic ordering. You were not going through your shop management software to order parts. Technicians were not ordering parts and posting it to an RO. Someone was calling up, someone was faxing in orders, and then you would manually get a purchase order from the parts house. You would put that cost into your shop management software. It would mark it up and you sell the ticket. Now, back then, we did see issues with this. Obviously, there could have been fraud like that. But a lot of times, it was something that people were very aware of just for you know human errors. Let's say that you weren't trying to do anything nefarious, and you had a ticket or you had a part that was $175. Very easy for a service advisor to miskey that and put it in for $17 or something like that. And if your sales price is always based on your cost... If you have a $175 part based on whatever your margin is, should be selling that for about $350. Now, if you accidentally miskey that in there for $17, you're only selling that for about $35. You know, probably an extreme example there because you should be able to spot that. But if you're building a ticket that has 15, 20 different line items on it, something like that might just slip through the cracks. And we saw that a good bit back then. Nowadays, though, almost all shops are doing electronic ordering, meaning that they're actually on the ticket, building the tickets and ordering the parts at the same time. So those are auto populating on the repair order for the customer. This one was strange because, you know, some shop management softwares cannot even allow this to happen. Some shop management softwares out there, if you want to decrease a price or if you want to adjust a price, you have to have a certain amount of privileges in the shop management software or manager override or some sort of safeguards in there. Because I've seen it go both ways. If you go in there and you kind of set the rules and you set the privileges for service advisors that they can only override certain costs, then yeah, it could stop something like this. But there's also a lot of legitimate situations where that service advisor is going to need to adjust that cost, whether it's up, whether it's down, a number of things could happen. Let's say that you order a part and it was $60 and you don't think that you're going to have to pay freight on it. Now you ended up having to pay freight on it and that part ended up costing you $80. You're going to want your service advisor to be able to go in there, override that, correct the numbers. You know, there's other things that happen where, you know, maybe you had to return a part. So you got to override that cost. You know, there's a lot of different reasons why a, a service advisor would be legitimately adjusting these figures. But in this situation, there was really no reason that they were doing this other than they were trying to make sure that they were hitting their targets and possibly doing this to increase their overall commission. When you started in this business, did you really think that cars would be driving themselves and that people would be buying cars online without test driving them? I don't think any of us did, yet that's exactly what is going on. On the repair side, the auto industry is changing fast. 
Customers expect quick answers and proof that they need the repairs that you recommend. They want to pay you while buying a coffee, then rate you on Yelp after picking up their keys. So why stay in a past? A shop owner named Carolyn asked herself the same question, so she created an online shop management system that automates the stuff you do over and over again. She and her team added texting in every step in the process from booking your appointment to posting that stellar review. They learn from their customers just like you learn from yours, and it's the system that's leading the industry into a bright future. Find out more about this and other things at GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed coaching and marketing program, their unique industry-proven marketing platform takes the guesswork out of the equation. Instead of taking a shotgun approach, Repair Shop of Tomorrow uses predictive marketing that focuses on bringing the right cars into your shop. They utilize social media, email marketing, direct mail, personalized newsletters, and Napa value-added programs to create quality car count for their clients. This same branded message, same branded content marketing approach is bringing in the right customers and bringing them in more often, which is helping their clients add more net profit to the bottom line. If your current marketing strategy isn't yielding the results you would like, please reach out to Repair Shop tomorrow to get your marketing efforts dialed in. For more information about their program, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. Now, I want to kind of step back and, and take a look at this as an overall thing of not only this specific situation, but other fraud that happens in shops and really in small businesses in general. One of the big statistics that I always like to throw out there, and even with you know a situation like this when I'm talking to my shop owners, is that fraud is only caught about 20% of the time in small businesses. So that means if we have five instances of fraud, statistically, you're only going to catch one of these. And this is what I was trying to tell my clients when this happened. I said, hey, this is awful. Luckily, we found this. And don't beat yourself up too bad about this, because when fraud is done correctly, it is very, very hard to be able to figure out. You know, a lot of times when stuff like this happens, it's only caught by chance. Like I talked about, he probably would have been able to keep on getting away with this unless someone else like just happened, looked at this ticket and said, hey, this looks really strange. Think about the example that I gave you for just lowering down the cost slightly to make sure that the margins worked. That would have been almost undetectable in a spot check of a repair order. The only reason that they were able to catch this is because that transmission was in there for $1. Obviously, that doesn't make any sense. And obviously, my clients knew that something was going on here, which made them dig into a little bit more detail. This is a very, very, very common thing for fraud. I always tell people, if you're running a shop that's doing a million dollars a year, if someone really wanted to steal $5,000 or even $10,000 for you throughout the year, and they did it subtly, it's going to be very, very hard to catch that. Generally, what we see in fraud situations is they slip up, they get greedy, they kind of go overboard on this stuff, and you end up catching them when they kind of you know don't cover their tracks as well as they should have. The only way to stop this is we're never going to be able to eliminate fraud, but we hopefully can figure out why this stuff happens to be able to stop this or be able to eliminate the chances as much in the future. When fraud happens, you know, what comes into play is something called the fraud triangle. I've talked about this before, but I think it's a very important thing to kind of understand why this does happen and why people do this. 
In order to fraud for fraud to happen, it has to have at least one of these three different aspects of this fraud triangle. The first one that almost always has to be there is opportunity, right? You cannot have fraud if you don't have the opportunity for fraud. Now, in this situation, of course, the service advisor had the opportunity. Um, you know, as a trusted service advisor, my clients have known that him for years. And obviously, he had the opportunity to be able to adjust repair orders to adjust tickets. Now, there's ways that you can minimize the opportunities like I talked about, safeguards, spot checks, cross-reference, and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, the opportunity is always going to be there for a service advisor to do these things, even if it's a small basis, but we have to give them some control. We have to give them a certain level of trust. And you might be thinking to yourself that, hey, you know what? My service advisor would never do this to me. I trust them like family. Greg has been here for 10 years. Jessica has been here for 25 years. They would never do this. I hate to burst your bubble. Those are the only people that ever commit fraud. The people that you say they would never do this, I trust them with everything. Their family, those are the only people that can actually ever commit fraud because those are probably the only ones that you give enough opportunity or you give enough leeway to be able to commit stuff like this. I hate to be cynical. You know, I hate to say you can't trust anyone, but a great thing to think about is trust, but verify, right? I'm not going to micromanage. I'm going to give them enough uh, room to be able to do their jobs and feel empowered, but I'm also going to be verifying. I'm also going to be making sure that I have my internal safeguards to hopefully try and catch this stuff. Now, another reason or another part of the fraud triangle is, you know, behavior, right? What is going on in their personal life that might dictate them to be able to commit fraud or what's pushing them in order to think that they need to commit fraud? Some of these are, you know, maybe bad personal finances. Do you see some weird spending habits? Are they rolling up with new vehicles? Do they have a bunch of new stuff? That's kind of an extreme example. If they're stealing a ton or embezzling a ton and all of a sudden this person that's making $25 an hour has a brand new $80,000 car, that's going to set off some alarm bells. Another thing is the exact opposite of you know personal financial distress. Are they getting divorced? Do they have kids going to college? Are they just really bad with their money that you're having you know kind of some personal issues creep into the business that is putting a strain on their finances? What I always tell people is you know think about fraud or a person in fraud just like a cornered animal or a cornered dog, right? When people get backed into a corner and they feel like that they have no other way out. They start to make drastic moves and some of those can turn into or ultimately look like fraud and end in that employee stealing. The last one on this is, and again, for this specific situation, I don't know what was going on with this person's personal life. I don't know why they did this. I don't know the justification behind it. It's just something for clues to look out for your own business. The last one on here is justification. Right. And so it's really a strange thing if you kind of look into these cases. And and I've unfortunately seen a number of these over the years. And generally, most of these situations, there's either one of two ways that these people justify what they're doing. The first of which is they feel like they're underpaid. 
You know, a lot of times we have employees that get jaded or kind of have a warped sense of reality because they see that $3,000 repair ticket that's going out to a customer and they feel like my boss has just made $3,000 here and I made 30 bucks this hour and I'm the one selling all of this. You know what? I should be getting a little bit bigger piece of this puzzle. I should be getting my fair share on it and I'm going to take matters into my own hand and take my own cut before they even have the chance to. Another time that doesn't really make sense in this situation is fraud a lot of times starts out as borrowing. People get into a tight spot. They say, you know what? I'm going to take a thousand bucks out of the cash register. I'm going to write myself a fraudulent check or cash a check from a customer. But you know what? I'm going to pay this back. I'm in a really tight spot. I got to make my car payment. I got to make my rent payment. I'm going to take this 2000 and I have every intent of paying this back. Now, what ends up happening there is obviously I'm sure there's some situations where there's been bookkeepers or service advisors or general managers that have borrowed money, given the money back and never done it again. Right. And it's probably something that maybe has never been caught, but generally it doesn't work that way. Generally, when you look at fraud, it's always escalating, right? Most people don't go just zero to stealing $10,000 overnight. What we see is smaller things. Hey, you know what? Like in this situation, you know what? I'm going to maybe put this ticket through and I'm going to do one, maybe a smaller one, a $100 part. I'm going to put the part cost at $1. I'm going to send this through. I'm going to close it out. I'm going to see if my boss catches me. Kind of a shot over the bow. Hey, let's see how close people are kind of auditing these things. So you go and you do that. Nothing happens. All right, let me try it on a bigger ticket here. Maybe I won't make it good onto a dollar, but I'm going to kind of adjust the cost of this water pump to make sure that my margins are met. That doesn't get caught. And then inevitably what ends up happening is once a week on this ticket turns into every single day or maybe even every single ticket. And it just kind of gets out of control. That is when this is usually caught. You know, when the levels get high enough and the amount becomes material enough that it sticks out in the financial statements or sticks out in your uh, shop management software to say, hey, I'm not sure what's going on here, but we got to look into this and we got to figure out. This is kind of the psychology behind why this stuff happens. But more importantly, how do we stop this from happening in the future? Really, you can catch it after the fact, right? With spot checks and stuff like that. Now, spot checking invoices is always a great thing. I love my clients to spot check invoices. I have some of my clients that spot check or review every single invoice that comes out. The reason that you're spot checking invoices is not to micromanage, but it's to learn what they're doing, how they're selling stuff, make sure that we're kind of selling stuff at the correct margins, and obviously to stamp out fraud. What I'd like to tell my clients is pull some random tickets, If you have multiple service advisors, make sure you're pulling it from a couple different service advisors and just take a look down. Hey, how is this priced? Are we missing stuff on this? Sometimes you could just catch procedural stuff. Hey, you know what? We did this job. This is something that we always charge diagnostic time on. Why do we not charge this customer diagnostic time? Oh, you know what, boss? Completely forgot about that. All right. Now we see this issue. Now we can all learn from this. Hey, I'm not getting mad. Mistakes happen. But what can we do in the future? What processes and procedures can we put into place so that this type of stuff does not happen? Also, obviously, if we're doing spot checks on invoices, this is where you could catch something like this. Hey, we have a transmission with a $1 cost. 
timeout. There's no possible way that this could happen. What is going on here? We need to dive in deeper on this. The big thing that I would also say about this is perception is reality. You know, if you remember, um, we talked about one of the reasons that fraud happens is opportunity, right? It's probably the biggest reason that fraud happens or can happen is having the opportunity to do so. Opportunity is, you know, physical opportunity that they have it, but it's also perceived opportunity as well. What I mean by that is you could have a service advisor that truly has a lot of opportunity to commit fraud, but by your actions and what you're doing and what you're saying to your team, they could perceive it that they don't really have a whole lot of opportunity. Now, what I mean by that is if you're asking questions, if you're doing spot checks and you're vocal about this, I don't mean that you're accusing that you're going and saying, hey, what are you doing? What's going on here? But just you know that your owner of your business is kind of looking over your shoulder, asking questions, is is in touch with the numbers, you're probably going to be a lot less likely to try to mess around with things. Most people are, you know, the commit fraud or most criminals do not want to get caught. So if they know, hey, the owner, the general manager, someone is looking over my shoulder. And if I try and pull something like this, I could get caught. I could get fired. I could ultimately maybe even go to jail or pay some fines because of this. They're going to be less and less likely to do this. And so sometimes I have my clients and they say, you know, they do a really good job of this. And they say, oh, yeah, you know what? They don't really know this, but I go down through. I look at stuff. I make notes. And I'm kind of looking over their shoulder. And I said, well, do your employees know that you're doing that? No, I don't tell them this stuff. I don't want them to, you know, think that I'm kind of micromanaging or you know, superseding their logic here or trying to second guess them. And I say, well, we can still do this in a constructive way. Guys, I'm not here to, you know, beat anyone up. I'm not here to talk down on anyone. I just want to make sure that we're all learning, we're growing, and we're understanding this business even more. So I want to be vocal about that to let them know that this is what's going on. And even in an extreme situation, when something is happening here, I want to be open about that. Hey, guys, I kind of noticed this error that was going on here. Can you guys think of any reason why this might happen? I even have a couple people that send kind of some test things through. Hey, let me kind of put a bad ticket through here and see if anyone catches this. The process and procedures, you know, the perception is a huge, huge part of this. And honestly, probably going to be the best way to eliminate fraud before it even happens. Catching fraud is notoriously hard. And so what I always tell people is let's have processes and procedures in place to hopefully not ever allow this from happening instead of trying to say, hey, what are our processes and procedures to try to catch this after it has already happened? Because like I talked about before, and is a great example for this client, you know, they have two very good sized businesses. It's not like they're doing two tickets a day. They're doing enough volume here where if it was done correctly, it is very hard to tell. So the only way to really stamp this out in the future is to try and put process and procedures in place, checks, spot checks to make sure that we can kind of get this before it turns into something too big. You know, the last part on here is where I get involved, you know, and sometimes where we can catch fraud on the QuickBooks or on the financial side of things. Now, if I am catching it on the QuickBooks side of things, it's probably reached a pretty high level. And what I mean by that is whenever we're doing financials, we're comparing our gross profit in our shop management software compared to our gross profit in QuickBooks or on our financials. 
What I always tell people is your shop management software is what you think you're making. QuickBooks is what you actually received and what you actually paid out. So in a perfect world, if our shop management software is showing that we made 50% gross profit on parts, I want QuickBooks to show the same exact 50% gross profit. That means we received all the money that we thought we were, and we only paid out the amount of money to our parts vendors that we were expecting to. That is a perfect situation. In reality, it's almost never that easy. Generally, most shops are two to three percentage points lower in gross profit on QuickBooks compared to their shop management software. And there's a number of legitimate reasons. There's probably some parts that you guys just eat. Hey, you know what? It was a warranty job. Maybe this was a personal part. Maybe this was an employee part. But there's always going to be more stuff than you're buying than you expect. No one is ever paying less for stuff. It's always there's things that creep in there. Also, you have stuff like shop supplies or stuff that you stock that doesn't necessarily get split out from parts that's getting included in there as well. However, when I start to get worried is when I see gross profit that is 10, 15, even 20% off comparing QuickBooks to your shop management software. This is probably one of the more common things that I see when we start working with a client that has never looked at this in the past. Hey, I know that you think that you're making 50% gross profit, but based on what you're actually paying out in your financials, you're only making 30% gross profit. And what we do there to kind of figure out where the difference is, is we take a look at QuickBooks, compare how much we've paid to individual vendors to try and figure out where this is going wrong. Generally, it's one vendor that you buy a lot of your stuff from or one vendor that we see a major discrepancy. Hey, you were supposed to only pay WorldPack $5,000 in August, but you ended up paying them $8,000. Why did we pay them an extra $3,000? Now that we have localized which vendor is having the discrepancy here, we can actually go line by line and figure out exactly what ended up happening. And sometimes it's a legitimate one. Oh, you know what? Hey, we bought that engine. That was $3,000. We ended up actually returning that engine because it was junk. And we actually got a credit the following month for that. And this will all work out. Great. All right. We noticed it. The process and procedures worked. It allowed us to catch this, but we figured out it was nothing wrong. It was more just a timing issue here. Now, other things that I've had happen is just like this situation. Hey, we were only supposed to pay LKQ $50 because that transmission was in there at $1 and we also bought this used part for $49. However, on QuickBooks, we ended up paying LKQ $1,500. Why? Because that transmission that we sold for quote unquote $1 was actually $1,400. So we have a major discrepancy there. So these are kind of the more extreme examples. If you have someone that's saying, hey, I bought that water pump for 100, it was really 130, that small amount is gonna be very hard to catch after the fact. It's only when it really becomes a much bigger issue are you ever gonna catch this. The general idea here, you know, with this situation and what I want people to take out of this is people are naturally going to do stuff that benefits them. No matter what type of incentive based pay plan, you're always going to have that person that's going to work the angle to make that work more and more in their favor. It starts with technicians. 
technicians do this for flat rate jobs. Hey, you know what? It would probably be better for me to give this lesser experienced guy this job, but I know that I can do this job quick, a lot quicker than the five hours I'm getting paid for it. And so this is going to be in my best financial interest to do this. Is that technician wrong? No, we've created a program that incentivizes people to take work. Now, if left in its absence of anything else, yeah, you could have some bad incentives here. But what we need to do is we need to say, hey, this is how we're incentivizing the entire team. Here's kind of the culture that we're bringing so that, yes, your pay does benefit you by doing this, but that's not the culture that we're creating. Same thing on the service advisors. You know, is this guy a complete scam artist? Well, you know, maybe by the uh, dictionary definition, but we've also incentivized someone to do this. We own our own businesses here, but our employees are also their own business. So sometimes they have only themselves in mind and will do just about anything to get ahead here. So we were incentivizing them based on sales. If he doesn't make that sale at the correct margin, then he makes no commission. He knows that if he discounts that below a certain margin, he's going to get flack from his boss. So what this person did was kind of the best of both worlds in their eyes, reduce the cost on this so that they still got that sale, which he will still get his commission. And on the surface, it looks like the shop made okay money. Make sure that you guys are aware of this stuff. I always like to share these stories when I see them because really the only way or, or I find these stories very helpful because sometimes there's parallels to your business. Sometimes maybe these can lead you to some clues that you can maybe spot this stuff before it happens. But trust, but verify. Make sure that you're looking at this stuff. Make sure that you have processes and procedures in place to hopefully stop this before it could ever happen. I hope this was helpful for you. I hopefully maybe there's some tips in there. Or maybe there's some clues that might be useful for you down the road. I hope that this is never helpful for you. I hope that this never happens in your business, but let's be realistic. If you're in business long enough, you're going to have some of these issues happen to you. And hopefully if you have the right process and procedures in place and the right safeguards, you can catch it quickly. If you have any questions about this comments or even ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at just want to say thanks again for listening this week on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening app. So thanks again for joining me this week on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all soon. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.